We're seeing this as Vision Sunday. We're going to have a slightly different sermon experience this morning. Uh, we're going to be spending about 15 minutes in a shortish kind of a sermon. And then we're going to be spending the rest of the time together on a framework that's been designed prayerfully to help us to reflect on God's vision for our lives. So each of us are going to have a fair bit of time to just reflect on, on God's vision for our lives. And if you joined us for the first time today, or if you missed one of those two weeks, we've been exploring this very biblical theme called the flux. And the flux is basically any place of disorientation which draws us to greater dependence on God. And I just wanted to take that minute to, to introduce that term to you because I'm going to be talking about that as we go along. And so if you haven't heard about it, I just want to make sure everyone's familiar with it. This morning, we're going to be looking at um, Colossians, a book in the New Testament of the Bible, chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Allow me to come up for us on screen. Allow me to read it up for us. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Allow me to lead us in prayer. Uh, Father, as we saw earlier this morning, would you help us to shift our gaze? Help us to shift our gaze from the many good but temporal things that you've given us and help us to shift our gaze to the eternal. Help us to shift our gaze to Christ beautiful, to Christ the lover of our souls, to Christ the anchor of our lives, to Christ Jesus, the strength and the salvation of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like to draw three things out for us from this passage. This passage is all about vision. Verse 1 that we saw said, seek the things above. Verse 2, set your minds on things that are above. The whole point of a vision is to move towards something that's greater, something that's higher and something that is beyond us at the moment. If you're 25 years old, you can't have a vision that says, I want to be 30 years old in five years time. You're going to turn 30, whether you like it or not, and you're going to grow older than 30, I can assure you, whether you like it or not, whether you want it or not. So our vision has to be greater and higher than where the routine drift of life will carry us. If you're living life in a city like Mumbai, that is really hard because we're all just flowing with the tide. And so if we don't pause in moments like this to reflect on God's vision for our lives, five years down the line, 
all that we will go to is where the routine drift of life carries us. God's designed us for something greater. God's designed us for something higher. And so this passage calls us to seek things that are above where Christ is at the right hand of God. This is quite audacious. God is inviting us to have a vision that is as high as the heavens itself. Now, I'm sure many of us in this room, we, we all have pretty high visions, I'm sure. Maybe you want to start your business. And maybe you want to make it to the CEO's office one day. Maybe you want to turn to a millionaire one day. Maybe you want to do a startup and, and, and go IPO. And as high as these visions are, none of these visions are as high as where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And so here's the first thing I would like to draw for us from this passage. Do not set your vision too low. Do not set your vision too low. Do not set your vision any lower than where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So if the gaze of our vision does not shift to see Christ, our vision is too low. And so Christ has to be the center of our vision. If you desire, if your vision is to make it to CEO one day, desire to be a Christ-like CEO. If your desire is to be a successful entrepreneur, desire to be a Christ-like entrepreneur. Um, About 20 years ago, I read a book called The Purpose-Driven Life. Um, I was young those days. I still... I didn't expect that laughter. That that, that wounds me. That's all right. I was young and restless, and um, I was unsatisfied. I was not happy with the way my life was going, and I desperately wanted a vision for my life. I desperately wanted some sense of purpose, some sense of meaning, and I knew that my life will just feel so much better if I was moving towards a purpose, a vision. And so when someone suggested this book called Purpose Driven Life, I got all excited. And I I got the book and I I started reading it. And the first sentence in the book hit me like a sledgehammer. It took me a couple of hours to recover from the first sentence of the book. It was a short first sentence, just five words. But those five words changed the entire perspective of my life. And this was the first sentence about this book called The Purpose-Driven Life. And here's the first sentence. It is not about you. It is not about you. And that, that, that in God's grace truly sunk deep into my heart. Imagine picking up a book on purpose and finding a first sentence which says, it is not about you. Until then, I had always assumed the purpose of my life, my vision was all about me. I was reminded that our vision is not just about us. It is about God. Any vision that is only about us is too low. The Apostle Paul, who wrote the passage that that we uh, read this morning, He truly understood what it was to chase God's vision for his life. 
and in Philippians, another book in the New Testament, chapter 3, verse 12, this is what he says. Not that I have obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. And Paul says, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Sometimes we run ahead and we strive to take hold of that which we want. Whatever that is, that is too low a vision. And Paul is saying he is pressing hold to take hold, pressing on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of him. When we chase Christ's vision for us, God's vision for us, I can assure you that Christ will never have a low vision for you and I. That's the first mistake we do when we think about vision. We think about vision as from our own perspective, not from God's. Second, we all tend to reduce vision to a mere individual pursuit. Vision is more than just an individual pursuit. Vision is also a community of people moving together. We're not created to live alone or a community of people going skydiving together. Our vision is not about, not just about us. Our vision must include God and must include those around us. Any vision that does not include the worship of God and the service of men and women is too low a vision. And that's the first thing which I think needs to be said on Vision Sunday. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated. We may think we fail to pursue a vision or we may fail to achieve or accomplish a vision because the vision is too high or it is too hard. But I think the reality is actually different. I think we fail to achieve and accomplish our vision because our vision is too low. Let me explain why. Vision is all about desire. If you and I, if we don't have a strong desire for a vision, there's absolutely no way we're going to accomplish that vision. So if you have to drive through 45 minutes of crazy Mumbai traffic to buy a loaf of bread, I can assure you none of us are going to have the desire to make that trip. On the other hand, if you have to drive 45 minutes to crazy Mumbai traffic, to go to a really fancy restaurant for a cuisine that you really love, we're all going to be motivated. You know, a loaf of bread can only arouse or motivate so much desire in us, but a fancy meal helps us take our game to a whole another level altogether. And so it is in our walk with Christ. Mere worldly things apart from Christ, can only evoke so much desire. But if Christ is at the center of our desire, if Christ is at the center of our vision, we will find that our desire is so much more stronger. Vision and desire are very closely linked. And that brings us to the second thing I wanted to draw out for us. To receive a godly vision we must also necessarily experience a reordering of our desires. To receive a godly vision, we must also necessarily experience a reordering of our desires. Verse 1 again from the passage we read, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. 
And this verse is talking about a reordering of our desires. If you have been raised with Christ, seek things above. Implicit, the implicit assumption in this is that if you're not raised with Christ, you're not seeking the things above. But when we are raised with Christ, we do seek the things above. When we are raised with Christ, our desires are reordered. And this shift from seeking things below to seeking things above is essentially a reordering of our desires. And we cannot really receive and pursue a godly vision without the reordering of our desires. So instead of calling today Vision Sunday, I I could well have called it Desire Sunday. Because we cannot divorce desire and, and, and vision. Think of it this way. Our life vision can never be anything more than the sum total of our desires. Our life vision can never be anything more than the sum total of our desires. So here's the point. We cannot have worldly desires and desire to have a godly vision. If we have worldly desires, we're going to have a worldly vision. But if we have godly desires, we're going to have a godly vision. So this morning, I want to encourage us to just reflect on one question by yourself. Reflect on it truthfully and reflect on it honestly. Uh, Be brutally honest with yourself. You, You don't have to share this with those around on your table. It's just for yourself. Simple question. Deep down, how would you call yourself? Deep down, are you a worldly person or are you a godly person? question you need we need to answer for ourselves worldly people have worldly desires and move towards a worldly vision godly people have godly desires and move towards a godly vision this cannot change we cannot live worldly lives have worldly desires and expect to have a godly vision it's just not going to happen and so the question is who are you right now who are you right now Who you are right now is the sum total of all of your desires yesterday. And who you are going to be tomorrow is the sum total of all of your desires today. You cannot, we cannot be anything else. Our vision, where we are going in our lives can never be anything more than the sum total of our Desire. So if we desire godly vision, we do need to cultivate godly desires. And here's the point. If you choose the world, if we choose the world, we will lose out on God. If we choose a worldly vision, we are going to miss out on, on, on a godly, ungodly things. There is no doubt about it. On the other hand, if we choose God, the world just gets added in. Remember last week's sermon, seek you first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added unto you. So the thing to reflect on is what are your desires today telling you about who you are going to be tomorrow? 
your desires today and my desires today are telling me, are telling us the person you and I are going to be tomorrow. And so to receive a godly vision tomorrow, we must experience a reordering of our desires today. Do you want the shift in desire? Is your soul longing for the shift in desire? Or is your soul resisting the shift in desire? I guess this might maybe bringing some of us to a place of conviction. But I want to move on to the good news that is there for us. And that's the third thing I want to draw for us from the passage. Mere earthly power cannot reorder our desires. Only the resurrection power of Christ Jesus can reorder our desires. In fact, nothing less than the resurrection power of Christ Jesus can reorder our desires. You know, as much as we want, as much as good people we are, as well-intentioned as we are, as much as we make commitments and all of that, we cannot change our desires by ourselves. Our desires change. Our desires move more towards Christ only when he reveals himself to us personally in a beautiful way. It happens only when we see Christ for ourselves, only when he reveals himself to us beautifully. And this is the beauty of the gospel. Jesus does not say, change your desire. Jesus does not say, change your vision. What Christ says is, come to me, all who are weary and burdened with your own desires and with your own vision, and I will give you rest. Take my vision for yourselves. My vision is light and it's easy. If then, You have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above. Seeing Christ risen, seeing Christ Jesus dying on the cross for your sins and mine, that's what is going to motivate us to something greater, something that's that's higher. This this theme of vision is is a sensitive theme. Uh, it's a sensitive theme because I would imagine every one of us have failed in this area. Um, very few people would say, I've accomplished and achieved everything in life that I want to be. I say it's sensitive because somewhere inside every one of us, at some level or the other, to some degree or the other, we're carrying the shame and the pain and the disappointment of not meeting our own expectations. Forget the expectations of others. Forget God's expectations. We're all carrying the burden and the failure of not meeting even our own expectations. And so I want to close with just helping us see things from a slightly different perspective. We generally think, tend to think of vision from our perspective. We tend to think of our vision from our perspective. This morning, I want to invite us to see our vision from God's perspective. What is God's vision for us? What is God's vision for you? I want to close with that. I'm going to move 
into the financial world. I want to take an illustration of what's called uh, an SIP or a systematic investment plan. I guess most of us are familiar with what an SIP is. If you're not, uh, basically you pick a stock or, or a mutual fund and you decide that you're going to invest in it every month. Uh, and you decide you're going to invest in it every month, no matter whether the stock goes up or the stock goes on, goes down. And every stock has ups and downs. And so even when the stock is down, even when the stock is at its lowest or the fund is at its lowest, you keep investing through the downs, through the downs, through the downs, but so that one day when the stock goes up, he'll give you great returns. That, that's the principle of SIP investing. And people say that if you invest, stay invested for five years, eight years, 10 years, you can never really lose money uh, because it, it goes up. And you, because you've stayed with it at the bottom, uh, you're going you're gonna to reap the return on investment when it goes out on top. Now, some investors pull out at the bottom. When, when the stock goes down, they, they kind of stop investing or, or they sell their holdings. And so they don't make money. But the, the investor who stays in, who stays till, till eight years, 10 years, and then cashes out because he or she has stayed at every bottom. He has stayed with the stock or the fund when the fund has hit every low. He or she makes money at the end of the day. I want to use this analogy to help us see that Christ Jesus is the most committed SIP investor in the entire universe. He's with you at every low. That's the beauty of the gospel. You and I, even with our own children, even with our own spouses, even with our own loved ones, we want to cash out when they hit a low. It's true in church. It's true in the workplace. Everybody wants to cash out when someone hits a low. That's the way of the world. But the way of the gospel is the exact opposite. Christ is most committed to us when we are at our lows. He is the most faithful SIP investor. And when our stock goes up one day when Christ comes again, when he cashes in, we're going to see that the investment that Christ made in us at our lows is what gave the greatest returns, is what brings him greatest praise and glory and what brings us greatest joy. And so if this topic of vision is sensitive for you because of the failures, the burden of failures and shame that every one of us carries, I want you to know that Christ is with you in every law. There's no other religious construct in the world that tells us this. Nothing else. Everything says you've got to prove yourself and make it to the high. Then God will love you and accept you. But it is only Christ who laid down his life and died for us on the cross. And he did that and rose again from the dead so that he could be fully invested in us, in every one of us, in every law of our lives.